This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Yes, it is the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. You can also find Subway to Shea on YouTube. This podcast is available on the HSP Network. Catch me alongside podcasts like The Bullpen with DA, Third Floor Lounge, which covers the NFL and NBA, Sus Talk, and the flagship show. The High Spot Podcast, which covers all things professional wrestling. Just search High Spot Podcast on YouTube or youtube.com slash High Spot Podcast and make sure to subscribe today. Please also take a few minutes to write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I'm here for the criticism as well, so please go on Apple Podcasts. You can rate the review one to five stars. Hopefully you're giving me five stars because that only improves the ranking for this show. And you leave a comment. That way this show can continue to climb the rankings in sports, baseball, and Mets podcasts. Now, let's get on with episode 28 of the Subway to Shape podcast. All right, last week I got to co-host the New York Mets talk on YouTube with host Tyler. He's known to Mets fans as Wardy NYM. It was a great experience for me doing that live, recapping the Diamondback series, previewing the Padres series, and getting to talk with live callers. You can check out that episode and more by subscribing to Wardy NYM on YouTube. Also, follow him on Twitter, at Wardy NYM. Tyler, I can't thank you enough for the opportunity and can't wait to cross-promote with you on Subway to Shea. Now, speaking of cross-promoting, we're doing that this week with my guest, Sam Maxwell. Sam produces and co-hosts the Metsian podcast alongside Mike Licolant and Rick Sparago on Blog Talk Radio. I got to join them a few weeks ago, and we had an awesome time talking about our team from Queens. So I thought it would be great to have Sam on the show this week. Sam is also a screenwriter, a filmmaker, and a baseball connoisseur. He has made a YouTube documentary about the history of the Mets fan called The Newest Breed, which I will link for you in the description on this week's show. Sam, how are you, my friend? What's going on, Anthony? Great to be here with you. Yeah, it's great to have you on, man. I really appreciate you coming on. I had to get you on. You know, you, you had me come on the Metsian podcast, and it was a lot of fun. We had a good time, and I wanted to have you on this week. A lot of Mets stuff happened from the last time I did my show, probably pre-Diamondback series. So we're going to get into a lot of stuff here, and we got to start off the show talking about none other than the GOAT. Jacob deGrom. He continues to make history. He beat the Diamondbacks and the Padres this past week. Got wins from both games, which is surprising because he, you know, he, he never gets run support. But this week he did. 2-0, 0 ERA, 13th inning pitch, 
19 strikeouts. This season, he's 5-2 with a .62 ERA, 58 innings pitched, 93 strikeouts. People are already comparing these nine starts from him to the likes of Bob Gibson, Pedro Martinez, two pitchers who've had quite arguably some of the best seasons in their careers and to see him compared to those pitchers is great his career right now Jacob deGrom he got his 75th victory 251 ERA 1452 strikeouts I must have asked this of every guest that has come on the podcast so I'm gonna ask you Sam what are your thoughts on what we're witnessing with Jacob deGrom you really need to bask in it. Uh, back in 2018, I, I basically missed the city field experience most of the year because I was out in Colorado. Unfortunately, uh, my dad was sick and, and he, he passed. But Jacob deGrom, coming out of that summer, uh, the first summer without my father, it was the only game that I went to at City Field all year. But it was the last game that Jacob deGrom pitched. And I, I believe it was against the Braves. He shut them out. He basically solidified his first first Cy Young performance. And you really have to remind yourself to bask in the glory that is Jacob deGrom. And especially having heard from the old timers about Seaver, about Gooden, uh, you know, watching the, you know, obviously Gooden, the less old timers, but you have to remember that it's a once in a lifetime moment. It's a once in a lifetime player. And I want to also cross this with the the new controversy in baseball, which is the foreign substance issue. And when we're talking about Jacob deGrom, it's also remarkable that at no point, if you've watched any of these videos on YouTube regarding the foreign substances and the spin rate, nobody is accusing Jacob deGrom of doing any of that. Now, there, there hasn't been one report in any paper. There hasn't been one video made. None of this is you know what we're watching everybody just believes that he has too much integrity to be a part of what is rampant and everybody else seems to be accused of it except Jacob deGrom and so another reason why we should bask in this right now I mean even you Darvish some people were picking up on him the other night uh when he was facing the Mets so uh, it's it's remarkable and you you know it, it's another thing with this scandal is that you hope nothing all of a sudden comes out I mean it's like when Roger Clemens was first indicted basically or accused excuse me because he was never really indicted to, to <laughs> don't want to like put that out there but you know it's it, it, it's like that and um yeah it's just it's been remarkable to watch and and I hope it continues and, and he just seems you just see it in his eyes I mean he is a workhorse he is a machine it's remarkable I don't know if you saw yesterday but it hasn't been reported, like you said, but there are, I guess, Twitter investigators, as you want to say, that have been trying to post videos. One fan, and he was a fan of the Dodgers, so he posted a video of DeGrom touching his belt and then touching his glove. And then I think every Met player that's on Twitter came out in defense of DeGrom. Now, I don't know what the deal was with the fan. I'm pretty sure he's upset because Bauer has been, you know, talked about at the forefront of this whole situation. So I don't really want to get too crazy into it. Uh, obviously, his teammates say that even if he was to use something like that, wouldn't you think that nobody would be able to touch him then. He would have like no hitters every time he would come out to pitch. Yeah. You know, every time that a player touches his hat or cleans off his shirt or something, that everyone's going to think that these players are using these substances. And, you know, it, it really started at some point, the baseball, uh, you couldn't, you had to wipe your hand after you, you licked your finger. And it used to be, it wasn't necessarily considered 
a spitball. It was just considered a better way to get grip. And, and it, you know, you watch old video. You didn't have to wipe your hand after uh, you after you lit your hand. So, I mean, everybody, especially on Jacob deGrom, yeah, like you said, Trevor Bauer, who was the first to be accusing people of this. And I, it, what, what's weird is that this might be like performance art on Trevor Bauer's part, just to prove a point, weirdly enough, because if you watch any of those videos about Trevor Bauer, he has been, you know, blowing the horn about what is going on for a long time, but everybody kind of ignored him because some people find him very annoying. He's rather an abrasive personality, let's put it that way. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, of course, somebody is going to try to bring Jacob DeGrom down. But right now, I mean, there's really no indication that he would ever do such a thing. Now, to really know how good Jake has been, I got to go back to one inning from the game against the Padres. His defense was struggling behind him. Lindor had an error. There was another misplay in the fourth inning. And eventually it led to the bases being loaded with one out. Now, what does Jake do? He strikes out the final two batters of the inning. He seems to come up big when the chips are stacked, just like he did in Game 5 of the NLDS against the Dodgers. What do you think of how Jake is able to stay composed on the mound, even against insurmountable odds? I mean, that is exactly what you want in a pitcher. That's something that we reveled in when Matt Harvey first came up. Unfortunately, he has lost that, and we'll probably see a little bit of that this week. That is what makes a pitcher. I mean, the fact that he was able back in 2015 to overcome that first inning, you know, uh, that, that you know, a lot of people would like to point to Terry Collins. That's really where Jacob DeGrom became an ace was game five of the 2015 World uh, See, that, like sometimes I forget how it's not that wasn't the World Series. But that that was the most important series in that playoffs for for the New York Mets. And that mm -hmm. was probably arguably the, the most important game for the New York Mets. You know, just to me, the Dodgers series is what I remember mostly about those playoffs, you know, because the yeah. Cubs series was such a breeze. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, going back to it. Yeah, like it. it I mean, yesterday, you know, he, he has a knack for getting the ball placed. The, the inning you were referring to, was that the Brandon Drury double play? No, that double play was uh, yesterday. That great double play by um, Drury, which we'll oh, get that into. Oh, was yesterday. Yeah, Sorry. we'll get into yeah, that. Yeah. We'll get into that okay, a little I'm, later. But the fourth I'm inning, up my games. Yeah, the fourth inning, they had the bases loaded, uh, one out, right. and he comes. He strikes out one, comes back on a three and two pitch. He throws a slider inside and gets the strike for the strike now, three. Let's talk about that slider because he's been throwing it a lot and, and he was going to the well. I forget who it was against, uh, and I don't know whether it was the Padres, I, uh, but I think it was the per whoever was before, and I'll have to look up his performances. But I remember that they just were not laying off that slider and he just kept going back to the well, going back to the well. And it was like, you know, scouting report, like, just figure this out, you guys. Yeah, he, he's been something else. And he and, seemed to be rubbing off on the rest of the hitting. team, right? Well, let's all, yeah, of course. Uh, but let's also, I mean, he's basically like, you know, you lose two. Everybody's talking about how poorly you're performing against winning ball clubs. And I think there's a, it's a little bit of a misnomer because there's a lot of underperforming teams that the Mets have helped to, to keep down in their division, especially. So I think that people need to remember that they have taken care of their division. And that's really the number one thing you want to do is make sure that you're beating the teams in your division. Um, I, I'd have to look up their exact record. But uh, when it came to like teams currently over 500, they were two and uh, I think at the end of this is uh, they're now like three or four and 12 or something like that. But um, 
uh, you know, that that's what Jacob DeGrom is there for. He's there to be a stopper. And it was perfect for the San Diego series uh, because you had the best two pitchers. I, I guess, really, at this point, it's a toss-up between Stroman and Tywin Walker. But you were able to get the pitching performances you needed for the offense to finally come around in San Diego. Well, even the other two games, the Mets were still in it. They still had an opportunity to take yes. all four games. So just that alone with the battered, injured team that they have, that's got to say something, right? What do they say that success is luck and preparation, you know, coming together? Um, I think that it's these little details that everybody is doing their part. Everybody is doing their role. Anybody is slotted in. Don't try to do too much. Just try to do what you need to do. And in certain situations as well, these are opportunities to re- kindle your your career you know uh like somebody like mckinney somebody like drury you know like w- these are names that we would have seen in the wilpon era and we would have rolled our eyes and they probably wouldn't have performed well i was just comparing the other day on the met scene podcast the 2009 team contrasting with the 2021 team and how a lot of those names are ba- basically sound like one and the same like they could be from either or roster but right now we're seeing a first place ball club and and they're not missing a beat now let's get into the offense so the reason why Jake has these two wins this week is not only because of his dominant pitching because we know that there are some games where he may give up only one run and he can lose that game but because the offense has really now stepped up it finally seems to be hitting its stride even with the replace Mets what do you see the biggest change in this offense over the last week and a half uh, there's there's much more patience at the plate. Um, they're also they're protecting against the two strikes. You know, like I'm I'm only just like you said, like just observing. And this is what I'm picking up on. You know, I don't know what the numbers say. I'm not like an overly analytical guy. I'm not like really digging into the new stats like like people are. But I'm sure somewhere out there you'll see that they are not. They, they're protecting against two strikes and they're getting their hit, their pitch. They're also performing properly with runners in scoring position. They're, you know, they're not always blowing up offensively, but they're making sure that they're getting the hits when it counts. They're making sure they're getting that timely hit. And that's the reason they're six games over 500, right? Yeah, I think for me, the return of Pete Alonzo and Kevin Pillar has made a big difference. Pete, obviously, at bat. Even Kevin Pillar has been getting a few hits here and there. But him, personally for me, for Kevin Pillar, just seeing him back on the field has been a blessing. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure it's had an effect on the team. But I think the awakening from James McCann and Francisco Lindor has been a huge change for this offense. Obviously, those guys needed to step up. They've been struggling for the first two months. McCann has benefited from the split play with Tomas Nito, and that's, I feel, the way Luis Rojas is going to go the rest of the season. He's always seemed to thrive when they had split duties, and you could have seen that when he played so well in Chicago, splitting with Yasmani Grandal. Lindor, he's been hitting the ball a whole lot better. We're seeing him hit with power and getting the ball out of the infield, in which, to me, he struggled for the first two months just getting the the ball out of the infield right now he is finally trusting his instincts and you're you're seeing that he's focusing on that ball and making sure the barrel comes through it and yeah the power is starting to come around when you look at the numbers the slugging has still been lagging a bit and you know this was even coming out of the home run he had the other day or the double in arizona actually he, he was only still slugging at like 313 so if i go back right now 
on the to see what he's currently slugging after uh, yesterday. Francisco Lindor in 2021 is currently slugging 342. So, you know, inching up a bit. Uh, you know, we generally speaking, he lives in the upper 400s lower 500s and so that you know it's not we're not talking about like a home run hitter we're talking about a well-rounded five-tool player Mm -hmm. and it it should also be spoken about with francisco Lindor that he there was only one tool missing this entire time and that was the offense he every single tool he has had other than that offensive tool and i think people have just like don't pay enough attention to the little intricacies of what he has brought to this ball club um in terms of kevin I will only go to the defense that, you know, we haven't really seen him like overly challenged, but, you know, mind you, I haven't had my eye on every single inning, especially on the West Coast. Sometimes I just can't help but fall asleep the way, yeah. uh, you know, like the other day, I was only like three and a half, four hours sleep anyway from earlier in the day, from the night before, I mean. But uh, with Kevin Pilar, I don't know whether he's gotten tested with the defense, with the the um, protector on there. I'm wondering what his vision's going to be like. We haven't seen him like you know i haven't seen this big superman play come out yet uh but from the offensive excuse me from the offensive perspective uh, perspective the weirdest thing and it's definitely an anomaly is that he may even be sharper at the plate now than he was before getting hit by the pitch and i don't know how that's possible but right now he is really in the zone and he was always you know like max 267 280 hitter at best so the bottom line, and again, these are two players, Kevin Pillar and Jonathan VR. These are two types of players that in the Wilpon era, you know, we were like, oh, they went with the, the bargain basement and whatever kind of success they used to have with any other players, with any other team, excuse me, that's not going to happen with the Mets. But right now, this is a big reason why the Mets team is in first place is because, again, everybody knows their role. Everybody is buying into it and also resurrecting a lot, you know, their careers at at the same time. You know, Jonathan VR at some point stole 60 bases. Uh, You know, he's trying to remind the league, he's trying to remind everybody, uh, as is Kevin Pillar, that they're still here, that they're they're still great. And like I said, with some of these other replacement players, the same thing's happening. And, you know, hopefully it continues. Ho- hopefully they, they adjust to any scouting reports that come out. Uh, and, you know, it's, really quickly, I know I'm going all over the place, but McKinney, I mean, he's just been fantastic right now. I mean, he, he's getting big hit after big hit and getting things started as well. Yeah, they're getting contributions from everybody. McKinney, Mason Williams, Brandon Drury, who we mentioned earlier with that huge double play yesterday. Jose Peraza, he had a big home run the other night. Tomas Nito has been very consistent behind the plate. This whole replace Mets, the bench mob, they've really been a huge part of the fabric of this year for this team. And I hope that it can continue, especially when we start seeing players return. Maybe when the McNeils and the Conforos return, they'll kind of be eased into playing, whereas we won't lose so much time of uh, playing time for the McKinneys and, you know, the Nitos and the Perazas of the world. And also it should be stated, going back to what you were saying about James McCann, that both McCann and Francisco Lindor, they were the only you know, ones with track records in the lineup, like, like, like it was July 15th of 2015. <laughs> like that, that's when they've stepped up. You know, I think with James McCann, he all of a sudden has protection at the plate. 
And you have to wonder, I was wondering whether the fact that he was in the eighth spot was exposing him. But I think with with McCann specifically, he's finally trusting his bat. You know, he, he was just, he was flailing at the beginning of the year. And you, you're really trying, you're really starting to see why they thought to give him a three-year deal uh, because he, he can, you know, he's not going to be the best hitter in the lineup, but he's going to give you some pop. And he's also, you know, spectacular when it comes to throwing players out. I want him to tighten up some of the defense when it comes to like, sometimes it's just like he takes his eye off the ball a bit and there's some pass balls or what ends up being wild pitches. Uh, you know, he's pretty good at block. He's pretty good at blocking the ball when it get you know, when it's in the dirt but I, I just ball after ball seems to get away a little bit and I just want him to tighten that up yeah it's great to see him and Francisco Lindor now I think McCann's hitting 228 uh, Lindor at 218 but seeing them for almost a month and a half to two months under the Mendoza line was not a fun thing to see for most of this season already now Sam I gotta ask you tell us a little bit about the, some of the projects you're working on and give people a little bit of a description about your Mets documentary that you did as well the newest breed yeah so it was just a little something that i threw together with footage i got from my dslr just a really cheap dslr a canon t3i that i had from 2011 till about 2015 or so um and and i i caught a lot of footage with just going to mets games whether it be at city field or around the nation and combine that with some interviews that i did with a family in jersey called the chapmans kevin chapman sharon Chapman and their son Ross uh, were in the documentary. And I also included Greg Prince of Faith and Fear and Flushing, who were able to kind of help us both navigate and give a, a kind of, to anybody who are who's outside this fan base with all the little intricate details about this franchise and about what the Met fan has gone through over the years. If anybody is curious outside of our fan base, you know, I, I believe that this gives a good history and guide to the Mets fan. And of course, because of that, the team as a whole, um, it's about like 35 minutes cut into two parts and it's uh, on YouTube now. Now, like, you know, I have to say that I'm like watching some of these baseball videos on YouTube. Like I, I wish I had a little bit more wherewithal into how to, you know, turn this into something on YouTube that I could have monetarily made money off of. But I, at the same time, it's up there on my channels not monetary you know monetized and i'm going to keep it that way if i ever monetize anything it's going to be something it's going you know it's going to be a different channel so it's up there for all met fans to see and it's free and uh no affiliation you know it warts and all up there for you know just like the mets <laughs> and i'll make sure to post those links in my description page for the podcast and for this episode. Sam, also tell us about, you were doing a documentary on your father. You were talking to me about that off air. Tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, so my dad, a father, brother, actor, teacher, and veteran, Norman Max Maxwell. Uh, Movies you guys out there may know him from is The Crow. He was the bartender, the bad guy's bar bartender. Uh, He was in Prince of Tides. Uh, He was in the opening scene of Raw Deal with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's another thing that everybody would 
definitely know about is Sopranos. He was in the last episode of season three as an FBI agent. And uh, yeah, I was actually in a movie with my father briefly, <laughs> a movie called Eddie. So some fans out there might know it. Some Nick fans out there might know it is when Whoopi Goldberg coached the Knicks in 1996. So, you know, unfortunately my dad has passed, but I can say that I was in a major motion picture with him for a few seconds. So the, that that is definitely nice to say. But, uh, you know, unfortunately he got sick a few years back on his 73rd birthday. And he was eligible for a Whipple surgery, which is very rare when it comes to the pancreatic cancer uh, that he had. And um, he, you know, uh, without giving too much away, unfortunately, things over the long term were not able to to work out. And he passed on Memorial Day in 2018, May 27th. Uh, And on the third anniversary, I was able to release a a clip of basically, you know, what we're what the documentary we're putting together uh, just shows him looking back on his life and career as he took on the biggest role yet fighting this this terrible disease pancreatic cancer so hopefully i can we can get it get it out there over the next year or two and we can you know show the world the way that he lived and the way that he died which was trying to put not only uh, he had you know not only with a smile on his face but constantly trying to put a smile on your face at the same time and you know he he was constantly singing you know trying to bring joy to this world even when looking down the barrel of the gun so that's that's something that I think the entire world can uh, use when it comes to the fact that life is short and we're always having to deal with these these crazy things that, you know, it, it's, it's a wonder that we always that we're, we're at, at any time we're able to keep a smile on our face, really. And he was able to to bring a lot of light to a lot of dark. Well, Sam, I'm sure he's smiling down on you right now and proud of all the work that you've accomplished. And I'm grateful that you got to tell this story here and grateful to have you on the show. And I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Uh, let's let's do this again sometime soon. We'll talk more Mets and we'll really get into stuff as the season winds down. Please let everyone know where they can reach you and what you're, you know, where they can reach the stuff you're working on for, on social media. Sure. Uh, I haven't written there much much uh, lately, but there's a lot of good pieces at convertedmetsfan.blogspot.com, you know, including how I became a Mets fan, how I converted from the Yankees to the Mets. Hey now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey now. Um, so check that out, convertedmetsfan.blogspot.com, uh, the underscore Sam Maxwell at Twitter. And another place to find one more shameless plug, Bedford and Sullivan, Bedford at Bedford Sullivan on uh, Twitter. It is, uh, I'm trying to make an HBO style TV series about Brooklyn and the Dodgers. And I uh, do a podcast that keeps the audience active listeners in the research process. And just about an hour and a half before I was talking to you, Anthony, I was on a podcast with Mike LaColant, who is, uh, of course, uh, from the Metzian podcast as well. But we were doing a podcast on Bedford and Sullivan, just kind of having a spring and summer Brooklyn debriefing. So go check that out. You can listen to it on, you know, anywhere you listen to podcasts out there. All right, Sam. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Anthony. That was Sam Maxwell. He produces and co-hosts the Metzian podcast alongside 
my Lickalan and Rick Sparago on Blog Talk Radio. Sam is also a screenwriter, which we just talked about, filmmaker, baseball connoisseur. He has made a YouTube documentary about the history of the Mets fan called The Newest Breed, which I will leave those links in the description of this show. So make sure to check out that documentary. Now, my final thoughts before this train leaves this station. It's nice to see some Dom Bombs and Polar Bear Blasts again. Would like to see this team hit for more power. Right now, they have 48 home runs this season, and they are 14 out of 15 in the National League, which is not good. Not good. I'd like to see them hit for more power. Obviously, with all the replacements, we don't have the big power bats in there from the Conforto. And, you know, Nimmo would hit home runs here and there. Jeff McNeil, you don't have those guys in the lineup right now. But, you know, McCann has been hitting some home runs. Lindor, he's got, he's got I think, five home runs. McCann has six. We have... Pete Alonzo, he's around seven home runs. And then also Dominic Smith's got about four. And then you got a couple here and there from the replace Mets as well. But I would love to see this team hit for power. As long as they win, man, that's all that really matters. As long as they're getting clutch hits, that's all that matters. Now, speaking about returns like we talked about earlier, we talked about Kevin Pillar. We talked about Pete Alonzo returning to the lineup. How about Seth Lugo? He's returned as well. Huge Huge, huge return for the bullpen. You know, I'm pretty sure that a lot of these guys are getting a little worn out. We're seeing Trevor May struggling a little bit. You know, Jacob Barnes has struggled. Um, He's been picking it up as of late, but he struggled out of the gate. You know, they're taxing Castro and Familia and Edwin Diaz and Gazelman. Drew Smith's getting in there. But with all of these opener slash bullpen games, it's going to take a lot of toll on this team, especially if we're not getting Carlos Carrasco and Noah Syndergaard returning anytime soon. So this is pretty big for this bullpen. Lugo is a great addition because he's like the utility man of the bullpen. He can give you a spot start. He can pitch a couple of innings out of relief. He can set up and he can close. He's already proven that he can pitch in big situations. So it's great to have him back. Very excited to see him return. And hopefully we get to see more and more of Seth Lugo as the season continues. You know, with all the issues and problems and injuries that this team has endured all season long, they are still in first place. Let's enjoy that, Met fans. Let's enjoy that. Now, please take a few minutes to write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better for all you Met fans out there. And if you go on Apple Podcasts, you can rate the show one to five stars. Hopefully you're giving me five stars and write a little piece, write a little review. It only helps this podcast grow, reach more Met fans out there and be up there with some of the best Met podcasts, baseball podcasts, and sports podcasts out there. So rate and review the show, and I would be happy to see all of your comments out there. Now you can follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Well, that will do it for this week's show. Always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea, and as always, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.